I'm, I'm super excited to be here. And here is a, here's why that Eric, it's not because Eric's not here, but when he's, because he's not here, he said, hey, you guys, Mike, teach on whatever you want. And so the Lord really led me to the book of Luke. And there's a story that we're going to talk about, about Jesus. And the reason I love it is twofold. One, there's some very tangible things about faith and specifically our faith that we can learn from this scripture. And second, the way Luke talks about Jesus gives us an insight to his personality and to his character. And it's one of those stories that you read and go, gosh, I like this guy. It's fun to think about Jesus as a person we like, not just that we love and that we get to like. And this story gives a taste of that. So if you would, we're going to walk through this together. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 5. If you don't, that's okay. We'll put it on the screen and we'll uh, tell the truth of what it says. I'm going to lower this. There we go. So Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to go 17 through 26. So Luke chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So Jesus was here. He was in Capernaum. He had, uh, this is kind of his home away from home in Capernaum. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes were there sitting down. So they were in this room and sitting down. The reason they were sitting is because to sit would mean that you were a teacher or you were someone in authority. So they would sit there. In fact, when you would actually teach back here, that you would sit down oftentimes to teach the word or to uh, teach your students. So the Pharisees are sitting there. Now, although this is the first time Luke has mentioned the Pharisees in the gospel, there's been this tension between the Pharisees and Jesus. So the Pharisees' job was to take the Old Testament and say, this is how you follow what we call now the Old Testament. This is the, the law, and here's how to follow it. And the Pharisees have created several extra rules in order to help you follow the Old Testament. So the Pharisees say, here are the rules. And Jesus kept going, <laughs> No, I'm going to break those rules. And the first he was like, these are the rules. And he'd go, no, these are not the rules. And in fact, not only would he break the rules, he would do it and say, actually, that's not true. Here's what's true. Which the Pharisees, who have built their career and their culture and their self-worth on being able to keep these rules and telling others how to keep these rules, Jesus kept going, no, that's not what we're doing. And so there was this tension here. Well, Jesus right, came here and people from all over came, which also tells us that Jesus at this point in time in his ministry had a reputation. And so the Pharisees were there to, uh, to see what was going to happen. So we continue in verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Okay, this is kind of awesome. If you hear what's going on, there's, there's this crowd, and we know from Mark's gospel there were four men who had a buddy who was paralyzed. We don't know if he was paralyzed for life or how he got paralyzed, but, but he was this, this guy's friends, and so they knew that Jesus was coming 
far away. And they said, hey, here's our chance. Here's what we're going to do is we're going to get our buddy and we're going to take him to Jesus. And so we're going to put him in Jesus. And Jesus, because he had this reputation, might be able to heal him. So the four guys each pick up maybe a corner or a side of this mat and they carry him all the way to Jesus, to a nearby town, which is wild if you think about this. Now, the paralytic, we don't know if he was excited about this or not. I imagine he was like, okay, but what kind of ride would that be, right, of carrying the mattress and the trust that you'd have to have the paralytic as your buddies take him into town? They show up, and the house that Jesus is in is so packed that they can't even get in. So I I don't know what kind of crowd you've been in. I, I was thinking about the last time, and of course now COVID, there's no such thing as a crowd, right? We're not allowed to crowd up. But right before COVID, I was at the, the Fresh 15, and they have these little pacing groups, right, where you have the sign of what pace group you want to run in. And I found myself in a pace group that was way outside my league. I was like, I need to get back there. But it was five minutes before the race started. And so I was doing that, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. And I was able to weave in and out. And then they did the prayer, the benediction. And they said, let's pray. And then I was able to make way good headway because everybody wasn't paying attention. But this crowd wasn't that. This was almost an elbows out crowd. Like, no, 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 you're not getting by me. I, I'm here. In fact, it was probably more of a Times Square, New York, uh, New Year's Eve crowd, right? Where it's so packed, you can't even move. And that you're right there. So these guys were going, hey, excuse me. And they couldn't even get in the door. That's how packed it was. Which again, says something about who Jesus is. That people wanted to be by him so bad that they would crowd out and pack in. They couldn't get through the window. They couldn't get through the door. And then one guy goes, the roof. Now I imagine the paralytic at that point in time goes, oh, for real? He's laying on this mattress. Yeah, how's that going to work? And somehow these guys are able to climb up and keep him balanced on this mat and get him up on the roof. Now, the roofs in Mideastern time were wood structures uh, with reeves on them and then clay on top of that. And the clay would hard and make these, hard to make these tiles. So there was kind of a, a digging and a tile pulling off in order to do this. So they get the man on top of the roof and they start pulling the tiles off. I imagine... What about inside the house? What's going on? Of course, you've got the owner of the house who's going, what the hell? Really? Crumbling, coming down, perhaps? And all of a sudden, there's a guy's face peering in. And everyone looking around, what's happening? And then they start pulling off more tiles, and they have to make a, a hole big enough to lay a guy in a mat coming down. And so the four guys are finally getting him down there. I'm sure the paralytic, whoa, you know, trying to keep even and... and stable. They bring him down. And imagine the crowd kind of pushing away a little bit. And Jesus right there and seeing him. And the guys are going, we did it. We got him in front of Jesus. Now he can be healed. And what does Jesus say? In verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus, it's, it's his legs, not his sins. What was Jesus doing? Your sins are forgiven. That's not why they made this journey. That's not why they figured out how to get on the roof and fight the crowds and lay him down and pull the shingles off. It, it wasn't for his sins. It was for his legs. So here's what Jesus is doing. He says, your sins are forgiven. 
By saying his sins are forgiven, Jesus effectively is saying, I am God. Because it's only God who can forgive sins. Forgive sins in a way that you're actually clean and actually reconciled to God. To forgive sins in a way that you're free from sin. And the Pharisees and the scribes, as Jesus said that, they, they knew, wait a second. He can't say he's forgiving sins. In fact, that's what scripture says in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? You see the, the mic drop that Jesus just did there? As he was saying, in a sense, I am God. And the Pharisees are going, who does he think he is? Trying to say he's God. He, he can't do that. And then Jesus reads their minds just to let them know, no, I am God. So as the Pharisees thinking, who is he thinking he's God? I see what you're thinking in your mind. I see what you're thinking in your hearts. And the Pharisees, oh no, he, he's, he knows exactly what I'm thinking. Maybe he is God? No, no, he couldn't be. So while the miracle's taking place, even in the midst of that, there's this sub-miracle going on. So Jesus says in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So which is easier to say? In the sense, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's not easier to, to do, perhaps, but the crowds don't know what actually happened in the man's heart, just as we don't know what's happening in a lot of our hearts if we look to the person next to us. Sometimes we don't even know what's going on in our own hearts. And so he says, what's easier to say? So that you may see that I am God. Take up your mat and walk. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I love this. I love the story because there's this picture of Jesus showing who he is and being God and dealing with the Pharisees and then the men who are bringing the paralytic through the roof. Uh, there's so much there. And so, Let's take a look and unpack this a little bit about what Luke is teaching us through this story. So first, if we look at verse 20, Jesus says, and when he saw their faith, it's interesting, their faith, the, the plural, right? That when he saw the faith of the paralytic and the four men, which is interesting, why the paralytic? He, what did he actually do? To deserve to have faith. He actually did nothing. He just laid there, literally. He couldn't do anything else. It's the four guys. So why is Jesus going to heal the paralytic? Versus, in fact, we look at the Pharisees who were in the room, right? And remember the Pharisees who were sitting because they were in authority? Let's even think about that a little bit more. So if you're sitting down in a room that's so crowded, you're taking up more space, right? To sit down takes maybe two or three people's worth of space versus everybody else with standing room only. They were packed in there and couldn't go. But the Pharisees said, no, no, it's more important for me to sit. It's more important for me to show you how important I am. 
In fact, that's more important than allowing other people to get to see Jesus. Whereas the paralytic man, he couldn't do anything. He was helpless. In fact, his weakness was on display for everyone to see. If you want to have faith, be the weak guy in the room. Put that on display for people to see. Not how awesome you are or how holy you are or how much scripture you know or how powerful you are or how good you are. God is not interested in that. He's actually interested in your weakness. So let's also look at the four guys who were there, who were, who were letting the paralytic, their buddy, down on the mat. What are the, some of the things that the four guys had? What kind of faith did they, did they show? Well, first, they were creative. <laughs> they were really creative. They let a guy down through the roof. I mean, they, they were not only like, hey, let's think out of the box. They were literally out of the box and had to figure out how to get in the box, and they had to through the roof to do that, right? I mean, kind of amazing that they did this. And when we think about faith and creativity, one of the things I often hear is, well, I'm not creative. That's not me. But when you really say, hey, I'm not creative, what you probably mean might be, I can't write songs like Matt McGill can write songs. Or I can't draw or paint. I don't know how to do that. Or I can't sing, which really means I, I don't like the way I sound when I sing. So I'm, I'm not a creative person. I want to talk a little bit about creativity and in light of what does creativity look like with faith. So first, I have been reading a lot about creativity in the last couple months, and there's a a definition of combined of, of several things, which I love, we'll put on the screen. Is that creativity is the toggling between wonder and rigor to accomplish God's purpose as he designed you. It's a toggling between wonder and rigor to accomplish a purpose. Now, if we play with that for a little bit, we can think of a creativity. A creativity is both this wonder, this awe, this ah, combined with moving toward that awe in order to do something bigger than yourself. Guess what? You are creative. You're a creative being. Just as Megan read this morning, we looked at Genesis in chapter one, and for the first five days, what did God do? He created things. He created everything that we could imagine. And then on the sixth day, when he created us, he said, you know what? The way I'm creating you is like me and my image. I'm gonna make you a creative being, being as well. You were born to create. It's who we're made. And in creating and being creative, we get to actually flex that muscle a little bit. And, and there's some of you who go, okay, I, I want to do that. And, and it's hard to do that. And I, I'd like to, but I, I don't know how to, how to start. Well, the first thing you need to do in being creative is something else that these guys had. They had courage. They had courage to be able to put their creativity on display. They knew that, oh, if I do this, it might look bad. It might not work. It might, it might not work at all. In fact, I have a friend who actually has this, uh, 
this picture in his office, which I've got up here for you to see, of Humpty Dumpty sitting there. And he actually took this actual photo, and in a Sharpie, writes on the top, this might not work. What a great piece of faith to be able to do something going, this might not work. What a place to put your creativity out on display, to know that something might not work. It, it takes courage. And when we look at courage, sometimes we think of the physical courage, like a police officer, a fire department, or a, a, a jockey that rides a horse real fast around a track. But sometimes courage, when it comes in faith, isn't just physical courage. It's emotional courage or spiritual courage. Maybe it's the courage to forgive somebody or the courage to forgive, the courage to have a conversation with somebody that you know you need to have and to love somebody well in that way, the courage to parent your kids in a way that nobody else around you might be parenting them, to step out of the box in that kind of way. Eric talked last week about faith and how to have faith and that we have elders here that we can mimic the faith of. And and yes, we can do that. But you know why it's so great? It's almost like when you go to Stanley's and you hear one of the bands do a cover song. I love that. You know why? Because it doesn't sound like the cover song. In fact, when you mimic somebody, you don't sound exactly like them. You sound like a, a variation of them. And the difference is who you are. And you get to actually go, that band, that's what they're like. Because they're mimicking somebody else and they don't sound like them. They sound like that band. That's their creativity coming out. So if part of being creative, in order to get bold in being creative, in order to have this courage, maybe the first thing is what Eric talked about last week is find men, find women who are around you who are following Jesus and go, how do I copy them? Not because mimicking them, again, is faith or is your, your faith, but by mimicking them, you begin finding, hey, this is the creativity in me. This is what it looks like for me to walk with Jesus. What else did these guys had? They were persistent. They did not quit, did they? They saw what the Lord had for them. They found their friend. They took them all the way to another town. They couldn't get in the house. They had to figure out another way. They go through the roof. They didn't give up. The Lord invites us to be on a journey. And I'd love to say, you know what happens? When things aren't working, when it's not going right, where we can't get in, we have to figure out another way, and we're persistent, then it all works out. Nope, it doesn't. It doesn't all work out. Because the, the purpose in this is the persistence of us getting to walk with Jesus. That when we get to bump up against a problem or an issue or and it's tough and it's not working, we get to stop and go, Lord, what do you have for me now? That Jesus invites us to be so sensitive to him that it's not going to just be our way to figure it out, that we're going to have to constantly go, okay, what next? The roof? Okay, here we go. God loves us so much that he's going to keep putting blocks in our way so that we can turn to him. And then what else about these guys? Urgency. They were there was a sense of urgency in these guys getting their friend in front of Jesus. I bring this up simply to say, as we're all here 
in different places with our journey and our walk with the Lord that there's probably some of us that the Lord has pressed, hey, this is what I have for you. And I wonder if that time is now to do what God has for you to do. So what about Jesus? What does Luke teach us about him? First, that the forgiveness of sins is actually more important than anything else. Although we have physical needs and God cares about them, he cares mostly about our hearts. We also know that we don't have to fix ourselves to come to Jesus. That if you don't have faith in him, or if there's places in our life that we go, ah, I don't want to talk to God about that. It's not for us to fix those. It's for us to bring before God. And then also, let's be super clear. Jesus is God. If anyone says, ah, Jesus is a good teacher. I, I, I follow his teachings and his ways, but I'm not believing in him. It's exactly what the Pharisees were saying. And you're missing it. You're, well, you're having a big Texan steak if you're doing that. Now, here's, here's what's great, is how this ends. Let's first look at the, the last piece of scripture uh, in this passage. He says, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. But, but if we also look at what the man on the mat said, he said, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Do you see this? Everybody in the room was amazed. Everybody was. The four guys, the paralytics, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, everybody was amazed. But not all believed. I wonder what areas in our life are we amazed? Are we maybe in awe of God? But that hasn't moved to belief. Now, when I, when I move us to start saying, hey, let's, let's look at our own life, you probably think the way I think. In fact, most Americans think this way, where you think of yourself better than you ought to. In fact, I, I got some four quick stats here. First of all, cancer patients. If you're a ca cancer patient, you have an ear on the screen, yeah, there it is. If you're a cancer patient, you have a 96% chance of believing that you are healthier than the average cancer patient. 96% of all cancer patients say that they're healthier than the average cancer patient. So look at another one here. Uh, get the, I'm waiting on the slide here. There you go, 94. 94% of professors say that they are better teachers than the average professor. Students, they're not exempt. 90% of students so they say they're smarter than everybody else, than the average person in their class. And then if you're a driver, 93% of you think that you're better than the average driver. Now, when I first read this this last week, I thought, okay, but I actually am better than most <laughs> drivers. Half of us are dumber than the other half. That doesn't feel good, does it? So maybe we should all be on the same page. Go, you know what? Let me approach this and go, I might not be better than everybody else. 
And in fact, comparing yourself uh, to the everybody else is a whole fallacy as well, right? I mean, they always comparison is a giver of joy. And we know that's true only, right, if they're better than you are. Um, I, I mean, you look at the medals, right, in the Olympics. You've heard this, that if you're a silver medalist, you're like, oh, I was one second away from getting the gold. Oh, I'm so bummed. If you're a bronze medalist, you go, I was one second away from not getting to be on the platform. This is awesome. It's all who you compare yourself to, right? So when we look at our lives, let's approach this like the paralytic, not like the Pharisee. Let's look and say, hey, what part of our life do we hold on to? Do we have pride about? Do we go, this is who, this is who I am? And what part of our life do we say we need to be weak? We need to be a paralytic. We're all were amazed, but only some believed. What part of our lives are we eating a 72-ounce steak from the Big Texan and think that this is awesome? It might be time in different areas to go, you know what? God has more for us. But the message of the gospel permeate not only our head, but in our heart. And then let's together, let's be in awe and then believe. Let's pray. God, I do pray that you would move the message from our head to our heart and all the places where that needs to be moved, that we would believe in you, that we would yield and that you would have your way with us and so that we could actually experience life the way it was meant to be lived. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.